This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, this is the Redbox Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. Coming up on the, today's episode, it's Wednesday, so it must be PMQs Unpacked. Tim Shipman and I pause the action live from the House of Commons to analyse in real time what's going on between Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer. And don't forget, you can not just listen along live on Times Radio, you can watch along live on the Times Radio YouTube channel. So have your lunch a bit early, 12 o'clock on a Wednesday, uh, and you can watch us as we pause the comments action. Just go to the Times Radio YouTube channel. Uh, that's coming up in a moment. First, as ever, we kick off with our columnist panel, and on a Wednesday, it is Albert. It's Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton. So, should we talk about... Oh, I hate it, mm-hmm. but people are calling it the he-shuffle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because there was a reshuffle that mainly involved men. It's raining men, someone said. What do you make of the reshuffle, Robert? I assume you've thought of little else. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, it kept me awake most of the night. But Updating this, your wall chart. Is this guy called Spencer? Is Spencer, it? yeah. I mean, Mark, I'd, I'd sort of like to think I know... Mark Spencer. I keep an interest, but they're, they're kind of scraping the barrel now, aren't they? So Mark Spencer's got a different job. Yeah. Uh, he's leader of the Commons. Now leader of the Commons, yeah. And Mog's gone to hear about Brexit. Yeah. Uh, Brexit opportunities. Yeah. Well, I think I'm, I've used, I used the phrase deck chairs in the Titanic on Monday, so I think I might go for circling the wagons <laughs> today because that's what it looks like. He, like the, the, the loyal few, Boris's last stand. Just move them all around. Move them all around a bit. It's, it's somehow, I, t- I remember assume... Ed Miliband had one like this when he yeah. had a ruthless reshuffle in which yeah. everyone got promoted. No, yeah, nobody gets sacked. I mean, the point <laughs> about a reshuffle is somebody gets sacked. Yeah, uh, and he can't afford that. He can't afford to do that because he's running out of friends. And he's, uh, as, uh, as uh, Caroline Noakes pointed out, he's just he's basically loaded three women with a load of un- more unpaid work, yeah. Doing uh, which will be a familiar so story. They're the new so. PPS. Yeah. Normally there's only one PPS. And now he's got four. Now he's got four, which is a sort of, mm. uh, we, we would call him a parliamentary bag carrier. Yeah. They are, they're the sort of the go-to. If you yeah. want to have a word with the PM, you could go to them. And the, tea, the whole tea room thing. Yeah. Yeah. So he's not four of them. So that's just women doing extra work, which will be that'll be familiar, won't it, to lots of women across the country? Uh, <laughs> yeah, women, women having to listen to other people moaning about Boris Johnson's behaviour yeah, for no extra money. Yeah, for no extra money. There are plenty of people who have had like to do coming that. on Times Radio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, Alice. Uh, talk, talking of women uh, who have to listen to other people moaning about Boris Johnson for no extra money, what do you make of the reshuffle? Well, I, I mean, it is extraordinary in some ways, just that. Um, 
Boris Johnson, who we know likes women a lot in some ways, um, doesn't seem to manage to keep many of them very close to him. So he's lost a lot of women, not just mm -hmm. in uh, the cabinet, but actually in Downing Street. So we've lost Allegra Stratton, um, who, you know, left sobbing. I mean, you know, he literally, he destroyed her, really. Um, and then, you know, he's had Manera, who mm -hmm. was his, um, you know, basically his think tank, his single mm -hmm. think tank. And, you know, um, a lot of other women have left recently. And you'd have thought he'd try and do something about that. But instead, the reshuffle is all about his mates and it's his male mates. And uh, you just think they're not going to get any better if they're just mm -hmm. surrounding themselves by these people. I mean, Jacob Rees-Mogg, who you know, thinks women should stay at home and loves having six children but is not prepared to change the nappies, is not going to really give the feminine viewpoint, is he? All those Brexit opportunities for women might get overlooked. Mm. Um, yeah. it's, an, it's an interesting point, though, because he's right, he's lost Allegra, he's lost Manira Mirza, Nikki DaCosta has obviously um, gone in the past as well. And it is all, mm. it's all a bit... His wife's probably getting quite cheesed off as well. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, it's very blokish, isn't it? And that's, that's the problem, is it just doesn't look... It looks as if it's this sort of toxic masculinity that he was accused of before. And his, on a kind of serious note, his big problem at the moment is that women voters don't like him and they've gone off him far more than the men have. Yeah, they have. They've yeah. obviously got much more taste, but <laughs> they, they, they don't like what they're seeing because they want a sort of steady government and they're worried about no. you know, cost of living and all that sort of side of it so i think actually he does need to be supported and, by women around him and instead we have all this macho language we had big dogs and red meat last mm. weekend and this weekend we had uh divi panzer divisions didn't we yeah <laughs> it's all a bit much and that's I mean, and it's the, the 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 type of person that is you know you're, you're james cleverly's um chris heaton harris uh what's the other one called um, Steve Barkley. Steve Barkley. Yeah. But that sort of quite blokey, right wing, That's conservative. Quite, yeah. They're, they're yeah. all part of the same wing. And it's not totally clear that that is necessarily where the public are. That he's, he's well, basically. Is you want good people, don't you? But yeah. then, so I'm not one that's saying that we should have had a quota on any level at all. We don't need to have, you know, 50% women or. You know more, but we you do need to have very good people, but you do need to have some representation from different areas, and it does seem rather just, extraordinary that feels... he's forgotten to have any women. And the whole kind of boozy thing and the macho thing—it seems to me the absolute opposite of where the, the public, where the kind of zeitgeist is going. Uh, people seem to, I think, are moving away from that. And the idea that, that there's a sort of mythical, sensible bloke in the pub who Boris appeals to—I mean, I just. Not sure that they're in a dwindling minority, those people. Uh, and I suppose the problem is if you surround yourself with diehard fans yeah. who genuinely believe that you are brilliant yes. and keep saying, oh, everyone I speak to says yeah. it's all going very well, yeah. then you're going to convince yourself it's all going very well. Yes. And you don't get that, um, uh, you know, what you really want, Alice, is someone who walks in and says, this is going down really badly with everyone I speak to. Uh, you know, we need to change. And it's not totally clear that in this shake-up there is a new big figure who can say to Boris Johnson, don't do that. No, and I think Allegra Stratton did that, and I think Manera did it very much for him. And he always credits her as one of the top ten women in his life. Um, you, know, you have to get squeezed into that. But um, I, I think it's really interesting that he hasn't had the sense to see that he needs to have a balanced cabinet and a balanced, you know, staff in number 10. So it does worry me that he hasn't really recognised what he's got to do. And where do you think then, what do you think he needs to do over the next few weeks? It does feel like, because they break up for the recess tomorrow, and there's a sort of half-term recess. So if he gets through to that, do you think it all blows over, Robert? No, it doesn't blow over. I mean, I think I, I, he's, it's, it's hand-to-mouth stuff, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, he's just, it's day, 
day to day. I mean, there'll be more. I mean, where are we now? Wednesday. We haven't had any. We haven't had any resignations this week. I don't think. I don't know what the letter count is up to, but there's. I mean, that's uh, always going to be a running sore, isn't it? As another letter comes in. I mean, to the twenty to to uh, Graham Brady. Uh, we haven't had any pictures this week. Um, uh, there's uh, no doubt there's more of those the, the threatened photographs. Yeah, the, and more the drip, revelations. Drip, drip of photos yeah. and things, yeah. So I don't think it blows over. I mean, it's just getting through to Friday. Yeah. Uh, as Sir Humphrey Appleby said, you know. <laughs> Sorry, say that again, Alex. I think the local elections are going to make yeah. a difference. Yeah. And I think that he, if he hasn't gone by then, I think that the issue for him is how well is he going to actually manage to do in those. And also people are going to have to go out and campaign to win seats, and that's going to be quite tough for them if Boris Johnson's still going badly. So, I mean, there, there are a whole lot of issues on the way of I will survive is, you know, and, he will survive. And people are, still, people are still annoyed. I mean, I was up with friends, uh, people who voted Tory and won't do again in uh, the West Country at the weekend, and they're, they're really, really annoyed yeah. about, the, about the party thing. I mean, so when, when, he, when they say uh, backbenchers have got to get a sense of perspective, I think the backbenchers are getting their sense of perspective from their constituents yeah, yeah, yeah. who are very cross. And anyway, I think that, you're, that point about the local elections, Alice, is that, is that there's nothing that will make focus minds like self-preservation. And if mm. you're, particularly in some of those um, red wall areas, mm. if you start seeing Tory seats flipping to Labour, or, or actually, you know, or even in the southwest, Tory seats mm. going Lib Dem or whatever it yeah. might be, um, that might focus um, uh, yeah. the mind a bit more. I thought Danny Finkelstein's column today was really interesting about the sort of the science of once people start moving, you know, because yeah. he's obsessed with the Beatles, he doesn't miss an opportunity. Yeah, I haven't read it yet. But, but it's about yeah. how part of the appeal of the Beatles was because other people like the Beatles. And there's a yeah. study which shows that if you start showing that, if you, if you in surveys show that other people are liking this thing, it encourages you to like it. And so the sort of the herd mentality, that, pressure, yeah. that sort of works with Boris Johnson. Everyone thinks yeah. that Boris Johnson is this great vote winner but that yeah, becomes then it goes the other way exactly mm. and once it goes and the other way it's really difficult to get it? back yeah I, mean, I think that's the thing is that he was always funny and everyone thought he was entertaining and amusing but as soon as that stops it just flips the other way and there's almost nothing you can do so you know no. actually singing i will survive would have been seen as very quaint and funny and entertaining yeah. and oh that's boris whereas now it's seen as desperate yeah and i think it's we, very I'll, hard to get that back and you could say it happens with all politicians yeah not Powell, wasn't it all politicians all political careers end in failure and it happened with blair but it took longer with blair because he he, there was he had there were structures in place yeah. and there was they were doing things and yeah. he had other uh, other talents and he had good people around him. With Boris, it's happened pretty quickly, yeah, because there's not a lot of substance there. Oh, yeah, and that, that and I think the, the similarity with Blair as well was such a massive personal appeal in '97. Mm. Uh, that, that's why the betrayal was probably greater than say Theresa May, where there yes. wasn't the same sort of investment. Mm. Uh, let's talk about your talk about, don't mind talking about Danny's column. Let's talk about your column, Alice. <clears throat> My column is actually not on the NHS, which is what everyone's talking about at the moment, the huge amounts of money that need to go into it, but on education. So the NHS is going to get an extra £12 billion a year, whereas education asks for £10 billion over the next few years and is getting an extra £1.5 billion. And really, in the end, it, it's got to be given some money. It's been completely ignored by everyone. No one's interested in education. And the teachers have been struggling in the last two years to try and overcome the pandemic, to look after children. They went back with Omicron when everyone else stayed at home and and, you know, 37% more likely to be infected if you're a teacher than any other profession. They've, they've really done their bit, but they are struggling now. And I just think we need to focus on education again, not just on NHS waiting lists. It's a really interesting um, uh, point, because it's one of those things that by the time we realise it's a problem, it'll be far too late to do anything about it. 
Well, that's my problem is that I think education is, is so vital. If we're going to, you know, post-Brexit, post-pandemic, we are mm. going to be relying on the next generation. And at the moment, you know, if, they, if they're really struggling with their work, they're really behind, we're trying to sort out GCSEs and A-levels. It is the teachers mm. that are going to have to do that. And actually fewer people are now going into teaching again because I think they look mm. at it and think it just looks exhausting and thankless and it's a problem because it, you know, it just doesn't have the same status teaching and, as it should have, really, with other professions. And in the long term, if you're talking about lev- the levelling up agenda, I think that education is... Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's easy to say, well, yeah, we'll build this road or whatever. But one of the big problems with the, the northern towns is the, is the, level, the, the lower level of educational attainment and, and, and skills. So if you do... Uh, if you, and that's what companies are looking for when they're looking to invest. You know, and if they're not there, those skills and uh, educational attainment isn't there, then that's that's when you can uh, you can miss out on investment that you'd otherwise would get. It's interesting the point you make, um, Alice, about education. Nobody really thinking about. It. I mean, I mean, I mean, particularly the early sort of Cameron government, where um, Michael Gove was like the big think on education. He'd obviously done it in opposition, and there was lots mm. of you know it was actually an area where there was quite a lot of sort of pitch battles, both internally and uh, with the opposition on that. I mean, obviously, Gavin Williamson was not a big thinker when it came to education. Do you, do you get the sense that Nadeem Zahawi might be doing some thinking behind the scenes or is it just not really on on the way? It's just not, a you know, normally education would be quite a big political battleground. Well, it should be. And Tony Blair said education, education, education. He really set it going. And, and actually, you know, I think Michael Gove carried on a lot of that and we had more academies and we had, you know, mm. pe- people realised that it was the only way that Britain was going to, you know, move forwards in the 21st century was through education. But I think, that, I think actually the new education secretary is pretty good. He's trying to sort out GCSEs and A-levels. He's got to sort out early years. But he hasn't got anything like the money that's going to be needed. And, you know, there's no investment really has gone into schools in the last decade. And that's their big problem, that we put so much into healthcare, which rightly in many ways, but it does just swallow up billions and billions. And the problem is if you don't look after the sort of young as well, um, there is going to be an issue and they are going to be looking after us in our old age. So you do need mm. to have better education. I don't have a sense that Boris is particularly interested in education. I mean, it's, I don't think he's interested in very much at all at the moment uh, beyond what happens tomorrow mm. afternoon. But Well, you wouldn't have kept uh, Gavin Williamson there if you weren't no, interested in education. But he's not, you know, he... He wasn't interested in it either. No, and it's yeah. one of those things that, you know, you, the, the payoff is a long way down the road, a long time after you've gone. Yeah. Uh, and, Which if, and, you, if you were in it because you actually wanted to prove the country, yeah. that's, you know, it's a good thing to do. If uh-huh. you're just thinking about short term. But then the point, I suppose we're talking about the NHS thing. They're now admitting that the, the, the waiting is are going to peak in 2024 when yeah. we're going to be going into a general election. Yeah, I know. And there's, I mean, there's some places one in 10 people have been waiting longer yeah. than a year. I mean, that's... You can see why that, I mean, that is the kind of the, the, the pressing problem. But Alice is right that in the long term. Um, well, let's, let's move on. Just finally, before I let you go, uh, this story in the front of the Times about uh, yelling, get off my land <laughs> at walkers who stray from footpaths is no longer deemed acceptable. Like, was it ever? Under new government guidance for farmers, which encourages them to be welcoming to visitors. Apparently, they should use friendly language on signs. And if visitors trespass, they should ask them if they are lost and help them back to paths. Uh, we've been asked people to share uh, their stories uh, today. There's some absolute crackers um, that people <laughs> have sent in. My particular favourite so far, Pat says, I was promoted to a new job as general manager in a department store. My new boss was an absolute tyrant, scared me witless. I went on a run in the countryside and saw a Ford Granada bobbing up and down by a gate. <laughs> it was him with his secretary. After that, it was a dream boss. <laughs> uh, so I like that story. Um, uh, Alice, you live in the countryside. Um, have you been told to get off of anybody's land? 
Uh, no, but I have to say that people come up uh, past our house because people have a footpath and they do, their dogs come off the leads and then they do chase the chickens and they have killed quite a lot of chickens. So oh. I might be one of those people that don't, I don't shout, get off my land because it is <laughs> like, get off my chickens. <laughs> but I am like, uh, my, you know, there go my chickens as, you know, leave, you know, you literally, they're sort of, they're, they're, you can see. It's just such an easy target if you're a particularly small, vicious dog and you see a chicken clucking and running away. Yeah. What about you, Robert? I think I might be in the, in the get-off-my-land category as well. I've got a house in France and uh, I discovered recently that when we're not there, the local teenagers uh, use the swimming pool. It's, it's the sort of local kind of communal <laughs> hangout. Wow. Because it's quite remote. And uh, I was quite... I, I was quite pleased. I was kind of, you yeah. know, sharing a resource. But I... I uh, <laughs> No, what, how would you say, get off my land in French? Well, you don't need to, because only in England. Yeah. In France, you can so, say what you like. Yeah. And it's Thompson and Robert Crouch. Now you can read them in the Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next, it's PMQ's Unpacked. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast now. It's time for this. PMQ's Unpacked on Times Radio. Order, order. I call Matt Chorley and Tim Shipman. Yes, a very good afternoon to you. It is just gone 12 o'clock on Wednesday, so it must be time for PMQ's Unpacked. We are live on Times Radio. We are live on YouTube, so you can watch along as well. Uh, the cameras are on. Just go to YouTube, search Times Radio, uh, and you can see us. Uh, we've got uh, people. Let us know where you're listening from. Listening in Pyongyang. Greetings from Birmingham, from Portugal, from Landuff. Uh, more Birmingham. Uh, hello from uh, Manchester, Terry. Uh, and in the studio with me, it's Tim Shipman. Not in Pyongyang. Not in Pyongyang. Uh, hello from upstate New York. You people really do have uh, not have better things to do. Uh, it's nice to have you here. Uh, Tim Shipman, what do we expect from PMQs today? Well, I think um, I, predicting what Keir Starmer is going to do is not always straightforward. But the two things I'm looking out for, is he going to make an issue again of the Jimmy Savile comments and the fact that he was harassed in the street? Um, 
I think there's a lot of people, even on the Tory benches, who are uneasy about that. But equally, there are Conservatives who think that the more that um, the words Keir Starmer and Jimmy Savile appear in the same sentence, um, the more that that will have some knock-on effect to it's the public. Sort of, there's no smoke without fire theory. Yeah, politics, so does yeah. that? Do, do Labour think it's better to move on or do they want to, to look at that? The other thing I'll be watching um, is what's going on behind Boris Johnson because now and alongside Boris Johnson on his front bench, he's now made clear that this he shuffle that he did yesterday, moving a few white middle-class men around, um, is not the not the end of it. There's going to be a bigger one later in the year. And does that mean people start to behave themselves, cheer loudly, and do all his uh, cabinet ministers turn up and look enthusiastic? Because not all of them have done so over the previous few weeks. Stephen Barclay, the, the, well, it's quite interesting. So sitting either side of Boris Johnson, you've got Dominic Raab on one side, the actual deputy prime minister, and Stephen Barclay, the second most powerful man in government. Yes, looking frankly like a pair of nightclub bouncers a little bit aren't they? they've got um, <laughs> a there's a bit of sort of eyebrow going on there sort of stern stares doubtless at the Labour front bench rather than at their Prime Minister but um, yeah if you encountered those two on, at, late on a Friday night you wouldn't be terribly surprised they're quite well dressed but beyond that um, yeah. if lot... they were packing heat <laughs> it, wouldn't, it wouldn't come as a shock you get the sense of both of them quite a lot of aftershave um, let's go <laughs> let's not get bogged down in that I think we can go now live to the House of Commons this is question number one from Keir Starmer Thank you, Mr Speaker. Was the Business Secretary right to say that fraud is not something that people experience in their day-to-day lives? Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, of course this uh, government and uh, this country uh, despises those who defraud people and that's why we crack down on on forces, uh, Mr Speaker. And we've strengthened our anti-fraud task force. We're bringing forward an economic crime bill, Mr Speaker. Uh, But we also attach huge importance uh, to tackling neighbourhood crime and crimes of violence, Mr Speaker. And I'm very pleased that those crimes are down 17%, Mr Speaker. Well, the first thing to know is uh, Keir Starmer, knowing the trick, ask a short question. A short question he wasn't expecting. Yes. And the first, I think if you listen back to that answer, the first sort of... uh, 20 seconds, it's Boris Johnson going, oh my God, what do I say to this? Um, but actually he recovered quite well and he did manage to dredge up a few details of things the government is doing on the, the task force and the neighbourhood crimes thing and the crime bill. Um, and yeah, he'll be frantically flicking through his papers now looking for something else some to say. Crime stuff. I suspect we might hear how many police officers they are recruiting at some stage. Just just in case you're not across this, this is quite a thing, the business secretary, at the weekend uh, was challenged because previously Boris Johnson has claimed that crime was falling by 14%. That is only true if you take fraud out of the figures. And Kwasi Kwarteng said at the weekend, the Prime Minister was talking about crime that people experience in their day-to-day lives, which in terms of burglary, in terms of physical injury, has gone down. I mean, even Martin Lewis, the money-saving expert man, has piled in and has said that the uh, uh, Kwasi Kwarteng was call, uh, caused outrage with his comments and said he should apologise. Um, it does seem quite extraordinary that you can claim crime is down if you just take out some of the crimes. Well, and uh, I think anyone who's got elderly relatives who are getting their door knocked or, um, you know, phishing emails trying to extract cash from them would uh, would think that this was a pretty live problem for a lot of people. And also, you know, it, just, if you lose money, and it, you know, everyone's had it, whether your credit card's scammed or, you know, um, online things, you know, that is crime. That's You've lost something that wasn't yours just because somebody hasn't broken into your house uh, to do it is uh, is another question. So there we are. That's um, I do wonder if he might. Uh, uh, I, I wonder if we might be in for a potpourri PMQs where Keir Starmer he might just keep across. moving. You know, so keep Boris Calls Johnson uncomfortable. Flicking through his folder, trying to find the next answer. Okay, let's go back to the House of Commons then. Uh, this is uh, question number two from Keir Starmer. Mr. Speaker, the, the Prime Minister's answer's got a big hole in it. 
We have had lockdowns for the last two years. Two crimes that people could commit were online fraud um, and throwing parties. And so far as I can see, the numbers for both of those have gone through the roof. But I was asking the Prime Minister about the 14,000 cases of fraud a day, many older people duped out of hard-earned savings. And the Business Secretary casually suggests on TV, don't worry, it's not real crime. There's a crime gang in in Manchester, Mr Speaker, nicking cars and shipping them around the world, all financed by Covid loans from the taxpayer. And what's the Chancellor's response? Write off £4 billion in losses and, and block an investigation by the National Crime Agency. His Cabinet turning a blind eye to scammers. Is it, is it any wonder that his anti-fraud minister realised no one in government seemed to care and threw in the towel? No, Mr Speaker, because what we're doing is tackling crime across the board. And that's why uh, we're investing more in in tackling fraud, uh, Mr Speaker, but we're also tackling the neighbourhood crime that is of such massive psychological damage to people in this country, tackling knife crime, uh, tackling burglary, tackling crimes of violence in the street, Mr Speaker, uh, with tougher sentences, which they voted against, by the way, Mr Speaker and putting more police out on the street, Mr Speaker. And the reason we're able to afford it, Mr Speaker, is because we have a strong economy and we're coming back strongly from Covid, and that is thanks to the big calls that this government got right. I think that's probably worth a ding for the big calls the government got right, which is always one of his favourites. Um, uh, Rishi Sunak there um, shaking his head at uh, Keir Starmer. You might not be able to see uh, all that clearly because he's quite a long way down the down the front bench. You've got Steve Barkley, Peter Patel, Alok Sharma... Anne-Marie Trevelyan and then Rishi Sunak. Uh, Boris Johnson keeping several bodies between himself and the Chancellor, just in case. (laughs) But that was an interesting set piece, wasn't it, on both sides. Um, This is going to be one of the big issues at the general election. um, If you listen to what Dominic Cummings has been telling the Labour Party, Johnson's former aide, he said, well, if they want to beat the guy I used to work for, they need to hammer crime, and Labour have done that. Uh, reasonably effectively in recent months, um, and some of the polling suggests that you know they're now well ahead. And in a sense, Starmer feels like this is his wheelhouse because uh, you know he's a former director of public prosecutions, but you know he's trying hard to make this sort of relevant to the punter in the street. Um, Boris Johnson, similarly, you know, has a reasonable story to tell about uh, about knife crime and fights back. I mean. You do wonder about the gang in Manchester exporting cars. I mean, it sounded like they would—they should be recruited by the Department for Trade. It's extraordinary. It's, it's extraordinary. I'm looking at the uh, Manchester Evening News story from a couple of weeks ago. A judge has demanded an investigation after two members of an organised crime gang were able to successfully apply for £145,000 in Covid bounce-back loans. Uh, they exported stolen Range Rovers and other expensive cars to Dubai and got £50,000 in funding offered by the government to help businesses struggling during the pandemic. It would be funny, were it not quite so much money. Uh, let us know um, how you think uh, it's going, what do you think of it so far. You can post comments online on the Times Radio YouTube channel now. Uh, David says, it's a fair start for Starmer, as there's likely to be great interest in crime amongst the electorate. Fraud is widespread. Let us know what you think. Go online, search, uh, go on to YouTube, search the Times Radio. You can watch live. See, see uh, my, my face and Tim Shipman's face, and who doesn't want that at lunchtime? Uh, let's go back to the House of Commons. Question number three from Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, his anti-fraud minister quit saying the failure of government to tackle fraud was so egregious 
that he had to, and this is his words, smash some crockery to get people to take notice. Well, it seems that the Prime Minister hasn't noticed the broken plates and the shattered glass all around him. It's almost as if he's been completely distracted for weeks. Talking of scams, households are going to have to fork out an extra £19 billion on their energy bills. The government is insulting people's intelligence by pretending it's giving them a discount. But it's not. It's a con. A buy-now-pay-later scheme. A dodgy loan, not a proper plan. Mr Speaker, he he shakes his head. So let me put this in language you might understand. When his donors give him cash to fund his lifestyle and tell him he has to pay it all back later... Are they giving him a loan or a discount? (laughs) Mr Speaker, our, our our plan to tackle the cost of living is faster, more efficient and more generous than anything uh, that they have set up, Mr Speaker. We've lifted, we've lifted the living wage by record amounts. Uh, we've, cut the, we've cut the effective tax for people on universal credit, Mr Speaker, and we're now setting out a fantastic plan to help people with the cost of energy, Mr Speaker. And, uh, and it, is, it is more generous and more effective than, more generous and more effective than anything Labour have set out. And the only reason we can do it's £9.1 billion, pounds, Mr. Yeah, yeah. Speaker. It's huge sums that we're using to help people across the country. And the only reason we can afford it, Mr. Speaker, is because we have a strong economy, the fastest growing in the G7, as I think I may have pointed out uh, to, the, to the right of Honourable Gentleman last week, and uh, not, not just last year, but this year as well. It's interesting. This. So um, Keir Starmer quoting Lord Agnew, of course, Theodore Agnew, Theodore yes. Agnew, who quit uh, at the dispatch. There was some drama in the House of Lords rather than the House of Commons um, over the the just refusal to do anything about the fraud. lamentable track record of cackling the sort of fraud in the COVID system. Um, and then you know Starmer with another joke. I mean, this, he's, he is jumping around as you said. We're now moved on to energy prices, though he seemed to be trying to suggest he didn't quite complete the thought. It seems to me that that what the government are offering is you know almost a fraudulent scheme themselves. Yeah. I thought he might try and link his previous uh, questions together. But what he's done quite effectively here, you know, he had a joke earlier about you know. Uh, parties in lockdown, you know, and online fraud being the only things you could do. He's now made a sort of barbed comment about uh, Johnson getting uh, money from donors, and is that a loan or is it um, a discount? Um, And what you're seeing now is repeated sort of taking the mickey, jibing at him personally, making little gags, which then link into his serious point. And I think, you know... uh, this, he's sort of getting better at this, isn't he? Uh, well, definitely that last one. So the whole point is that Rishi Sunak announced, as Boris Johnson said, a £9.1 billion plan last week uh, to help with energy prices and uh, council tax bills. Although the government uh, will get some of that money back later because it's essentially a loan uh, to uh, energy companies to reduce the bills now and then we'll have to pay the money back uh, as customers later on. But it, what was, I suppose what was clever about that question from Keir Starmer is it's not really a question. Instead of actually asking a question that Boris Johnson might then provide an answer for, he basically is just a, it's just a taking the mick thing. When you when you take a loan off of someone to buy some new curtains, is that a loan or a discount? There's nothing that Boris Johnson can say to that. Um, so he has to wander off and talk about it, and then he appears to be wandering off to talk about something else. We've moved on to, yes, universal credit and Lord knows what. Um, time for the next question. I think. I think you might be right. Time for the next question. Uh... <laughs> Um, Boris is full of his, you know, what is usual, says someone on uh, YouTube. 
Uh, has Keir taken lessons on PMQs from Rayner, says Stephen. That's an interesting question. Uh, immediately on the same question, Terry says, I'm amazed that such a well-located man is Starmer, a lawyer, ex-DPP, cannot phrase his questions more cuttingly than David Meller. So according to people watching on YouTube, he's doing very well and very badly. Uh, let's go back to question number four. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister clearly hasn't got the first clue what the Chancellor signed him up to. <laughs> So let me help him out. His plan is to hand billions of pounds of taxpayers' cash to energy companies and then force families to pay it off in instalments for years to come. If it, if it sounds like he's forcing people to take out a loan, and it looks like he's forcing people to take out a loan, isn't it just forcing people to take out a loan? We are giving people in... Uh, in band D council tax, A to D council taxes, council tax, houses, council tax valuations across the country, that is 27 million homes. We're giving them the equivalent of a £150 rebate off their council. Their offer is for £89, Mr. Speaker. Ours is faster, more generous, and more effective. And what, and what they would do. And what they would do, and you know, this is a global problem, Mr. Speaker, caused by the spike in, caused by the spike in gas prices. But what they would do is clobber the, the oil and gas companies right now uh, with, a, with, yes, they, with, a, with a tax, with a tax that would deter investment in gas just when this country needs gas, Mr. Speaker, as we transition to green fuel. It would be totally ridiculous, and it would raise prices for consumers. What uh, Boris Johnson William did there is he ignored actually the questions about the energy bills and moved, told about the council tax. That is a genuine discount. That is just money going to take uh, 150 pounds off those uh, from smaller homes uh, band A to D. I think the leader of the opposition somewhat lost his momentum in the question though, didn't he? Yeah. When he st- talked about taking out a loon, which um, I've just received a message from uh, someone in government suggesting that he might have been referring to members of his cabinet. <laughs> He's, yeah, but then Boris Johnson's got into a bit of a flap as well, trying to remember which... Well, yeah, which, the first ten seconds of that was... I think we should probably put that question and answer down as two of the less coherent contributions to this particular show. Yeah, I'm not quite sure what it was. a year and move on. I'm not sure what Keir Starmer was asking, but whatever it was, Boris Johnson definitely didn't answer it. Let's go back then. You don't forget you can watch along live on the Times Radio YouTube channel. Go to YouTube, search Times Radio. Uh, and uh, let us know what you think of it so far. Starmer actually making some decent jokes with some good lines, says Matt. Uh, that might have been before the last exchange. Let's go back to this. Uh, question number five of the House of Commons. Mr Speaker, I was always worried that the Prime Minister wasn't one for reading terms and conditions. <laughs> didn't understand what the Chancellor signed him up to, and he's just confirmed my worst fears. There is an alternative. Order, order. Can I just say, if you want to carry on, carry on outside. I am not having this perpetual noise coming from the front bench. Secretary of State should know better, and I expect better, and I certainly don't need to put up with it anymore. Keir Starmer. That's uh, Lindsay Hall ticking off the government Mr. front Speaker, bench. Mr Speaker, there is an alternative. He could stand up to his Chancellor, tell him to support families rather than loading them with debt. Tell him to look at those bumper profits of oil and gas giants. Shell's profits... Up £14 billion this year. BP's profits up £9.5 billion this year. Mr Speaker, every second of the day, they've made £750 extra profit from rising prices. At the same time, households are facing an extra £700 a year on their bills. Why on earth 
Is this government forcing loans on British families when they should be asking those with an unexpected windfall to pay a little more to keep household bills down? The Labour plan would clobber supplies. It's an improvement on what you, I thought he stood for, which was nationalising the energy companies. Maybe, 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 maybe he's dropped that one now. I, I can't tell whether he's dropped that one or not. But, Mr Speaker, what he would be doing... Maybe he has. What he would be doing, Mr Speaker, is hitting the energy companies at precisely the moment when we need to encourage them to go for more gas, Mr Speaker, because we need to transition now to, to cleaner fuels. And what this government is providing is £9.1 billion worth of support. It's more generous than anything Labour is offering. And I just repeat my point. The only reason we can do it is because we kept our economy moving in those hard times when they took the wrong decisions. And we, we came out of lockdown in July, Mr Speaker, when he opposed it last year. And we kept going over Christmas and New Year when they opposed it, Mr Speaker. And that's why we have the fastest growing economy in the G7, not just last year, but this year as well. As I never tire of saying. He never tires of saying it. It depends, actually, which figures you're using. It does, but the reason he keeps saying it is because the public does generally buy that argument. And pretty much uh, every focus group you sit through, people say, you know, they did, you know, they did the best they could and um, uh, we're glad that the economy kept kept moving. Um, so, actually, he felt pretty comfortable there, giving, giving that. That's the most comfortable we've seen Boris Johnson all day. Um, uh, interesting question from Starmer talking about why don't you stand up to your Chancellor. I wonder if there's a bit more of that we'll be seeing over the weeks to come because the real fault line through this government is between Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak in terms of how they plan to pay for all this stuff. Uh, there's been a lot of tension. There's been a lot of suspicion. Is Sunak manoeuvring? Uh, we're told it's all peace and harmony again um, after uh, a meeting last week and a joint appearance earlier this week. And But it's an interesting thread for Starmer. Uh, to, to go on. And we're coming up to, is it Sunday, two years since Rishi Sunak got the job? Remembering he, he got the job because Satyajit Javid had quit because he wouldn't have the joint unit and having number 10 deciding who could be in his team and who he couldn't. And this was seen as, you know, Rishi Sunak was the patsy, he was the one who was willing to do all that. And actually, the opposite as ever happens. He's almost unsackable. He's proven very popular with voters. Uh, but that creates a real tension between number 10 and number 11. Without, and that, there's always tension, but in the past when there's been tension, it, it came you know, with Tony Blair and Gordon Brown or even David Cameron and George Osborne. It was born out of an original... You know, They were brothers in arms at the beginning, and that just isn't the case with these two. No, exactly. I mean, they're different ge- political generations, um, and um, Sunak was put there you know, to be not Sajid Javid. And what the, the, the silly thing from Johnson's point of view is that Javid merely was objecting to what was happening with his aides. Um, there wasn't really... Sajid Javid, I think, would have done broadly policy-wise what Boris Johnson wanted him to. Um, Rishi Sunak accepted the joint unit and the aides, but has quite different views about the economy. <laughs> um, and it, it would be wrong to move on without mentioning a second Starmer. Um, um, BP's profits, 9.5 billion points as well. <laughs> so while his structure and his questions have been quite clever, some of his enunciation has been less successful this week. Yes, uh, we're picking up on that. Uh, Lindsay Horn also picking up the, uh, the the cabinet for making too much noise. Joe Pike from Sky News reporting it's quasi quarting. It looked like uh, quasi, The, the business secretary who's... Uh, um, uh, Keir Starmer's been uh, criticising uh, Kwasi Kwarteng for his comments about Ford. He was ticked off for heckling Keir Starmer uh, by the Speaker. Then Kit Malthouse, the policing minister, he's piled in as well and he's uh, got, been bickering with Lindsay Hoyle. Uh, that's what's been happening on the government front bench. Uh, somebody's texted in saying, 
Uh, why does the Speaker always reprimand the government benches and not the opposition? That's Andrea. It's a good, I'm not, I mean, he does sometimes tell off the Labour side. I think, as a general rule, if you're going to harangue uh, the person at the dispatch box, it's best not to do it if you're sitting right next to the Speaker. Uh, yes, um, some speakers have good peripheral vision, others don't, but they they can all see what's three feet in front of them. Yeah, I remember, I mean, in particular, uh, Ed Balls used to do it all the time from the front bench sitting opposite Ed Miliband, uh, uh, sitting next to Ed Miliband, which is why David Cameron called him the most annoying man in politics or something. Yeah, no, I think Ed Balls was delighted at that, if yeah, I remember exactly rightly. Right, exactly right. Uh, right, here we go then. This is PMQ's on Pat. We'll go back to the House of Commons now for the uh, question number six from Keir Starmer. He can bluff and bluster all he likes. The reality is this. On top of the Tory tax rises, on top of the soaring prices, the loan shark Chancellor and his unwitting sidekick have now kicked up a buy-now-pay-later scheme. It leaves taxpayers in debt, while oil and gas companies say they've got more money than they know what to do with. It's the same old story with this government. Get in a mess protect their mates and ask working people to pick up the bill. But isn't he worried that everyone can now see that with this Prime Minister and this Chancellor, it's all one big scam and people across the country are paying the price? Mr Speaker, what they can see is a government that is absolutely committed to doing the right thing for the people of this country and and taking the taking the tough decisions when Labour is calling for us to take the easy way out and spend more taxpayers' money. And, Mr Speaker, it was, it was this government that decided to keep going in July uh, when he wanted uh, to stay in lockdown. We kept going over Christmas and New Year. And, by the way, Mr Speaker, it, it occurs to me uh, that we also were able to use those Brexit freedoms yes. to deliver the fastest booster yeah. world the fastest vaccine road. Yes, Mr Speaker, when he not only voted 48 times, 48 times to go back into the EU, yes he did, uh, but he also voted to stay in the European Medicines Agency, Mr Speaker. And our, plan, our plan for jobs is working, Mr Speaker. We have record low youth unemployment. Our plan for the NHS and care is working, Mr Speaker. They have no plan at all, Mr Speaker. Our plan for the country is working. We have a great vision, Mr Speaker, to unite and level up across our country. They have no plan whatever, Mr Speaker. And I say to him, plan beats no plan. We have a great plan for our country. They play politics. I mean, as um, perorations go, I'm not. I mean, it, there's plenty of it. There's a lot of plans. Um, for a plan, start. Yeah, plan, plan. That they've obviously decided. That they... Well, I'll tell you where this comes from. Um, there's been a lot in the papers that you would have read over the weekend about the return of Linton Crosby, yeah. um, Boris Johnson's uh, former sort of election guru. This is pure Crosby. Crosby believes in people having plans. He told David Cameron to have a. That a plan for, for the economy, long-term you know, the economic long-term plan. economic plan. You used to ask what it was. The, the view of most Tories at the time was it doesn't matter as long as people think we've got one. Yeah. Boris Johnson, when he was getting re-elected in London in 2012, had a, a, a plan for London. Um, I think there were nine points in it. I remember interviewing him. He could only remember four, but the, <laughs> the point was that it wasn't important. The important, well, the important point was that voters understood there was a plan. And he's, you know, we've got a plan for jobs, a plan for the NHS. You know, I mean, most people in government think the NHS backlog is the biggest sort of looming problem they've got but apparently it's working already um, you know, and his plan for the country is levelling up, you know, we've got a white paper that doesn't have a great deal in it and 
but that, you know, as long as you keep saying you've got a plan, that, you know, I think we've seen absolutely purely there that Boris Johnson answer. That is his, that's what you're going to be hearing all the way up to the next election and you can bang your bell as much as you want, but uh, it ain't going to stop. <laughs> it's interesting. So at 12.17... So a couple of questions ago, uh, somebody's got put R on the text, texted in saying, Johnson is floundering, we're seconds away from hearing, long-term economic plan. You could feel it in the water uh, that it was coming. Um, uh, and what about, you? we touched on it, and you sort of predicted that in the coming weeks Labour might turn their attention to uh, Rishi Sunak. We didn't have long to wait. We didn't did have we? long to wait. The, the lone shark, shark chancellor. Uh, Rishi Sunak uh, is one of the few people on the government front bench wearing a mask, but even with his mask on, you could see that he was laughing at that. Yeah, I mean, it makes him probably sound um, rather more um, dynamic and scary than uh, than he probably yeah. feels himself to be. But um, but no, the combination of the two things I thought was interesting. So lone shark chancellor, that's, that's to damage Rishi Sunak's decent figures with the public. And his unwitting sidekick, um, presumably the Prime Minister, um, that's designed to wind up Boris Johnson and make him irritated. Um, you know, and if you are Labour, if you can drive a wedge between the two of them, you can get the Chancellor to move on, get the Prime Minister to move on his Chancellor. Well, something he has already threatened to do in a Downing Street meeting a few months ago. If 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 Sunak were to get moved in the reshuffle, I think um, uh, that would. Uh, probably look bad for Boris Johnson and Labour, but I think Labour would probably quite like that, looking at, Bor- uh, at Rishi Sunak's approval figures. So, What do you think would happen in that situation? Cause we've, we, I mean, yesterday's reshuffle is not the one that's going to get the, the nation talking down the dog and duck, but we're, t- we're told that there's a plan for a bigger summer reshuffle. If, in that situation, Boris Johnson tried to move Rishi Sunak, is that a point at which he might walk, move against him? I think uh, that's possible, Um I've not seen great evidence of Rishi Sunak wanting to uh, move against Boris Johnson. Uh, he gets a lot of jip for probably preparing in case Boris Johnson falls under a bus. Um, but I think it's notable how relatively loyal the Cabinet have been compared with previous uh, sort of moments where it looked like the Prime Minister might fall off their perch. Uh, this is certainly a more loyal Cabinet than Theresa May's was, Um where every man Jack was um, not just um, uh, preparing for the future, but actively agitating against her. Um, so, yes, if you're Boris Johnson, I can understand why you might be a bit paranoid about Rishi Sunak, but um, Sunak doesn't strike me as the kind of person who's likely to sort of overtly move against him. But equally, you know, if he... He's not. There's probably not any other jobs he wants to do in this government. So, and, and who could would he, he realist- at that point offer to walk? You know, who who could he realistically put there would be more malleable? Because part of the problem is that being chancellor, you are you have enormous power because you control all the money. Yeah, I mean, the two obvious candidates are Liz Truss, who's desperate for the job, the foreign secretary, and having made her foreign secretary, it's more plausible to make her the chancellor from that post than it would have been from catapulting her up from the business department. Uh, and I guess it. It's uh, it's not impossible that you could see Sajid Javid return there because he seems to be sort of uh, back in with Boris Johnson. Um, what about Kwasi Kwarteng, the one making all the noise? <laughs> you know, he's in an economic department. Um, he shares Boris Johnson's worldview. Um, former Etonian, of course. That counts for a little bit, I think, in their world. Um, and, you know, first black chancellor, that's the kind of thing that this prime minister might might fancy doing. And that's all we've got time for on the podcast this week. You can obviously read all about what we've been discussing online at thetimes.co.uk. Just sign up, get yourself a subscription at thetimes.co.uk forward slash timesredbox. 
And if you want to come on and play our quiz, can you get to number 10? Just email studio at times.radio. And throughout February, I'll give you a pair of tickets to my stand-up tour if you come on. That's studio at times.radio. But for now, thank you for listening. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times. And it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be fine. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like... You know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> this was like wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, <laughs> yeah, you, you were different. Like, you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.